Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Signing up and playing is so easy. Simply sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you can get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matter more than ever. Place your money line, prop, and parlay bets with the king of sports books today. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets. If you don't win your first bet, that's right, up to $1,500. Again, sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. BetMGM and Game Sense remind you to play responsibly. 21 plus in President Ohio, subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. That's 1-800-GAMBLER. I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow The Global Story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts. You know you've got a comeback in you. When you take the next step, you're going to make it count. For your career, for your family, for your life. You can earn a degree you're proud of with Purdue Global. Purdue Global is backed by Purdue University, one of the nation's most respected and innovative public universities. This is your chance. This is your opportunity. This is your comeback. Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. When you buy Kroger brand products, you feel like you're winning. That's because they offer proven quality at lower than low prices. In fact, we guarantee that you and your family will love how Kroger brand products taste. Or you get your money back. So next time you're shopping for the family, look for delicious Kroger brand products. Because they'll make you all feel like you're winning. Shop now, in-store, or online. Kroger. Fresh for everyone.
is Wednesday, October 2nd, 2019. Coming up on Roland Martin Unfiltered, Amber Geiger gets the same amount of years in prison as Bill Cosby did. And she killed somebody. We'll break down uh, that particular case and we'll take you inside of the courtroom. Also, another high-profile case in New Jersey. Federal prosecutors wrapped up their hate crime case against ex-Bortontown Township Police Chief Frank Nucera. This is the guy who said, you know what? Trump is the last hope for white people. Plus, my interview with presidential candidate Andrew Yang. Folks, we, it's ready to have a great show. It's time to bring the funk on Roland Martin Unfiltered. Let's go. He's got it. Whatever the miss, he's on it. Whatever it is, he's got the scoop, the fact, the fine. And when it breaks, he's right on time. And it's rolling. Best believe he's knowing. Putting it down from sports to news to politics. With entertainment just for kicks, he's rolling. A judge read the jury's decision as to how many years Amber Geiger will be sentenced to prison for the death of, for the murder of Botham Jean. The jury having reached a verdict, I will now uh, announce it. We, the jury, find unanimous. We, the jury, find unanimously that the defendant did not cause the death of Botham John while under the immediate influence of sudden passion arising from an adequate cause and assess the defendant's punishment at 10 years imprisonment in the Texas Department of Criminal Justice. In addition, we assess a fine of zero dollars. And it's signed by the presiding juror. Uh, would you like to have the jury poll? Yeah, yeah. Okay. Is there any legal reason why this sentence should not now be imposed? It is therefore the order, judgment, and decree of the court that you be taken by the sheriff of Dallas County and safely transported by her to an agent or representative of the Texas Department of Criminal Justice. And there you shall be confined until your sentence is discharged. Your sentence will begin today, and you will receive credit for any back time that you had. Both of John's father, Bertram John, testified today in quite the emotional testimony. Mr. John, in this photo, What are you thinking when you're standing there holding your wife? How could that happen to us, our family? How could we lose, have lost both of them? Such a sweet boy. He tried his best to live a good, honest life. He loved God. He loved everyone. How could this happen to him? How could hindsight, what could we have done? And my family is broken hearted. How could it be possible? I'll never see him again. And I want to see him. I still want to see him. It's hard. 
never experienced a, a close death so in my family is hard not hearing his voice. Joining me now is Tiffany Young, a political commentator who has been in the courtroom every day since the trial began. Uh, Tiffany, I want to play this video. Uh, Bo uh, uh, Bolton um brother also testified, and he said he did not want to see Amber Geiger go to prison. And in fact, when it was over, go to my iPad, please. Uh, when it was over, this happened, where he went to her, hugged Amber Geiger, whispered in her ear, I hope you find Jesus Christ. Um... And what's interesting is, I, I see, I already see a lot of white folks on social media, people like, you know, conservative commentator uh, Mark Davis out of Dallas talk about uh, how, you know, the forgiveness in the courtroom versus the racial revenge. And I said, oh, so if you forgive the white woman for killing Botham Jean, oh, we praise forgiveness, sort of like with Dylan Roof, but if you don't, it's racial revenge. Uh, what, how, what was your, uh, your reaction? How did that play in court? Um, in terms of when that happened. And also, were you also in court when this happened? Guys, if you go to my iPad, when the judge came off the stand and gave Amber Geiger a hug. Share your thoughts, please. Yes, so... Um, we have a press conference with the DA going on here behind me right now. Um, but when those moments happen, in court, I will tell you it was a tender moment for everyone in court. Um, you already had one of the jurors that was in tears, even as the sentence was read. Um, and so as we watched the judge, some of us were kind of confused as to what was going on because the judge spent some time uh, speaking with Amber. And so we were trying to understand what was going on. But hey, have, you moment, ever see, have you ever um, seen that before? Botham's brother. Tiffany, have you ever seen that before? I mean, never. I've covered trials. And, and that's I've, I've never seen a judge come off the bench and hug the person who was convicted of murder. Correct, and that's what we've said in all the years of the Dallas County courtrooms. No one could recall seeing a moment such as that. Um, obviously, what was... And, your, and, and even when... Go ahead. Even when the brother came down, even when the brother came down from the stands, um, there were some that were commentating as to whether or not um, that was even appropriate uh, because Amber Geiger was already in custody at that time. And so, um, you know, there may even be an, an opportunity for reprimand there because I've heard that that was inappropriate, I guess, from a uh, procedural standpoint. Um, and, and then the brother has been here at the courtroom today with his Bible um, in tow. I've noticed that he's been reading the Bible very intently uh, today, so it wasn't necessarily a shocker to me that he did uh, ask for that. Well, uh, we're... That we're breaking up there. Tiffany, I want to let you go ahead. Why don't you go ahead and cover that news conference, then we'll try to get back with you uh, a little bit later. We get also a better signal, okay? Okay. All right, thanks a bunch. Uh, I want to go to now uh, our panel. Uh, joining me right now in the studio, Avisha Cross, political commentator, Democratic strategist, uh, A. Scott Bolden, former chair, National Bar Association, PAC, also along Victoria Burke, NNPA. Scott, uh, 10 years? <laughs> well, every state jurisdiction is very different. Prosecutor uh, won 28. Both of John, his birthday was earlier this week, would have turned 28 years old. Mm -hmm. He was 26 when he was shot and killed yeah. by Amber Geiger. They came back 10. 
That's real on, on the low side there. And well, she, she was served five. Life. Well, could have gotten life. Right, could have gotten life. She was mm -hmm. served five and before she's eligible for parole. Mm -hmm. You know, it, it's interesting. Uh, there was a lot going on in this courtroom. Uh, emotionally draining. These are tough cases. This was a murder case, and she was charged with murder and convicted of murder, but it felt like a manslaughter case. Her whole defense was it was a huge mistake and error, and that seemed to permeate what the, 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 the emotions and what was going on in this courtroom. You just reported, you, you just reported that the witness was allowed to hug a murderer. The judge came down off the stand to hug a murderer. That is so rare. I've been doing this for 32 years on the criminal and, and uh, prosecution and defense side. I have never seen, read, heard, or even, even uh, known of any other case like this. Um, so something interesting was going on, but 10 years, the hugs, those are inappropriate. <laughs> and I'll be honest with you, maybe that's Texas justice, but I, I, but I, I think the Texas bar or even uh, the Court of Appeals, if you will, may have something to say about that vis-a-vis -vis the judge. I don't know whether it's an appealable issue or not, but they did this in front of the jury. Right. When and the that... jury is making a determination well, on zero or five to a hundred years. Well, first, let me show the, uh, both of John's brother. He, that took place while the jury was present before sentencing came down. Okay. The judge, I believe, that her came after the jury okay. had rendered their sentence. But 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 right. even still, mm -hmm. uh, and, and here's the deal. I'll go <laughs> ahead the and say it. I'll go ahead and say it. I think the di I think the difference here, the difference here, she's a cop. The bottom line is you cannot convince me that the roles were reversed if a Botham Jean walked into Amber Geiger's apartment and she's a cop and she's shot dead, that you're gonna have this level of compassion. I think that's what you... I think what happens is whenever a police officer is on trial, they are given the benefit of the doubt. Lots there of There is a whole... I mean, same thing happened in the Quan McDonald case. It was, oh, my God, don't take my husband from our children. All those things you heard from uh, uh, the, the officer's um, uh, a wife and all the cops testifying... That, to me, I think, was the driving force. It's a little deep. I, I absolutely agree with you. And I was going to say that the other part of this is when we see cases like this, there's always the um, the defense side trying to find something wrong with the victim. Oh, he smoked weed when he was 16, so somehow he mm -hmm. deserved this. In this case, you have a guy who, by all intents and purposes, college graduate, worked at PricewaterCoopers, PricewaterhouseCoopers. He was someone who led the choir. He was someone who actually had a white woman serve as a key witness mm -hmm. for his character. During the trial. Great family. It, exactly. Great family. Yes, Christian people. We all pray. <laughs> on, with the, with, on that same token, what we see here is someone who, in Amber Geiger's case, went there and acted like she was the victim the entire time. Right. Mm. Not that she killed somebody, no, remember, but she, she was, was victimized. She was treated that way from the beginning, Lord. Cops, first of all, took three days to even arrest her. <clears throat> all right. Uh, right. And then she turned herself in in another county, not in Dallas County. Uh, and you had all this. Yeah, absolutely. It was like, oh, my God, this is so unfortunate uh, <laughs> that it was an accident. She was disturbed. Uh, you know, she was sexting the guy she was having an affair with. She was distracted. <laughs> and then she goes into the apartment. It was just a tragic accident. He's dead. Yeah. I mean, I, I know people grieve in different ways, and the family should be allowed to, you know, have their moments that they need to have to work, work emotionally through this. But... 
the whole thing is really a tour of what it is to be African-American, you know, in this country for the last 400 years. We are not allowed to get angry. We're not no. allowed to get pissed off in the same way. Oh, and we're supposed to thing. make everybody else comfortable. Right. Yes. Everybody else is supposed to be made comfortable. If you remember in the Michael Brown case, the theory was, well, the cop's life shouldn't be inconvenienced mm -hmm. that he had shot dead this 18-year-old. Mm -hmm. Like, why are we inconveniencing <laughs> his life over that? It's the same thing that happened with George Zimmerman and Trayvon Martin. And you're seeing a little bit of that here. It's not just that she's a cop. She's a petite, white, blonde female. And there's a natural sort of built-in tendency in our culture to have sympathy for that person. I mean, so I mean, here, here, this idea that she's just sort she of... She testified like, like, like she was a victim. She was, she was the victim. Like, right. She was in fear. Exactly. And, and you know what's interesting about that? I mean, Her no. story is BS. Okay, the idea that she accidentally came into his apartment is nonsense, right? And that this should be a manslaughter case is nonsense. Anybody could see through the fact that this is probably a premeditated But let me moment. tell you, but let me tell you so what. Well, let me tell you the problem you with that. Tell, let me tell you. It was a key fob. But it feels all the like floors a look alike. Let me tell you what. They all feel alike. But, but, but most jurors believe that if it's premeditated murder, right, under the law, you can be premeditated within a minute or two, right? The case didn't feel like that, and it wasn't presented that way. It felt like she made the error. The defense narrative on this dominated this trial, despite a strong prosecutor, and besides beside them getting no, 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 murder... No, 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 not the defense narrative. Conviction. Her uh, narrative from the beginning dominated. And on the stand, the, the, she but, said, but again, But again, again, the only reason, the only reason that narrative was allowed to be present and consistent is because she's a cop. I think part of it's you, because no. she's a cop. I think the other part she kind of spoke to earlier. This is a younger, woman, blonde, white woman. No, 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 no. Hold on, hold on. I got that. America. I got that. I got that. <laughs> but I got, I got that. But she's also a cop. And I'm telling you, I'm telling you, the, I'm telling you, the leeway we get. I, I well, go, that's clear. I, 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 no, no, I go back to the case. It was, it was in Connecticut. Black guy. I think Kelly Delaware. I think it was Connecticut. Brother, hands. Cop says, get on the ground. Brother gets on the ground. Mm -hmm. Cops kicks him in the head, mm. knocks him unconscious, goes to court. Jury says, not guilty. We, we don't have the after video. We have the video of him. This is how he's looking, going to his knees, making no move towards the cop. Cops literally reach, kicks him in his head, knocks him unconscious. The jury said, Ah, uh, not guilty. We, this is the reality. I think you mix in cop, 31-year-old mm -hmm. white woman. Oh, my God, the <laughs> tears and all of that. Well, and people, you clearly know Clearly, you have never in your life, as you've already said, seen that type of scene in the courtroom. I mean, raise your hand in here if you've ever seen a judge come down and hug the person responsible for a murder. We, we've also I mean, never seen that somebody never get happened. shot and killed in their own home while he's ice cream. Listen, but here's the deal. This is, this is part of the psychology of what you say. I agree with you. Who you call when you got a problem? Somebody breaking in your house or a disturbance in your house? Who you call? The police. Mm -hmm. And they are there to protect and serve, right? Right. Who you call when you want them to come to school and talk about officer friendly? The police, right? Right. Now, when white people call the police, their narrative is they're there to protect and serve, and they look up because they're the last line of defense uh -huh. between chaos and community. When black people call the police, 
You got a 50-50 shot of making it. Maybe they come and secure the location. Like in, like, like, in Illinois, like in Illinois. Assaulted or killed. Like in when Illinois. Like in Illinois when they called the cops and the brother was a bouncer. Right. And, he, exactly. and the brother, he had the gun and the cops shot him. Right. And right. he ends up getting killed. Right. And he was the one trying to stop the fight. And what, what happened in Dallas when they had a peaceful march right. and, the, and the shooter guy, was right. sticking and moving and shooting people, right? Mm -hmm. And the police and the protesters, the peace protesters, were walking and you had all of them had open carry. As soon as that shooting started, what did the brothers do? The brothers dropped their rifles, handed their rifles over, and got out. You know why? Because they, they turned into a fire squad. And, 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 and I, I want to I pull this up because I, I was, um, I was um, looking at this here. So, uh, Mark Davis, y'all, is a uh, conservative radio talk show host in Dallas-Fort Worth, and he and I go at it all the time. Um, but but you, you always got to love whiteness. <laughs> and privilege. You got to love whiteness <laughs> when black people forgive. Okay? It's a beautiful thing. This is a tweet. <laughs> go, go, jury gives Amber Geiger 10 years. Courtroom sees spirit of forgiveness. Even hugs along the theme of what Botham Jean would have wanted. This display of grace and mercy is in stark contrast to voices crying for racial revenge. Genuinely inspiring. Then he, he later tweets, let me, let me find this. There's been so much pain in this story. Botham Jean family's literal embrace of Amber Geiger is God's grace before us. Mm. An echo of the kind of man Botham Jean was and a call to all of us to practice that mercy and forgiveness in our own lives. You got white folks 18 years later still want to kill every damn Muslim because of 911. I, it, it is, I was offended when I heard that bullshit on TV after uh, Emmanuel. Dylan. All Morning yeah. Joe and all these shows. Mm -hmm. I was just struck mm -hmm. by the tone of forgiveness. After this tragedy, forgiveness. This night, something tragic happens. White folks in America want us. Mm -hmm. Can, can you just forgive? Can you just? But it's it's the mercy. <laughs> right. But then it's the so if you don't forgive, right. racial revenge. But what about <laughs> when they are the bad actors, or the or the bad act occurs to them? And again, that's my point. And they want not only revenge, but they want justice. They want death. Swiftly. They want swift justice. And Why they also do they want equate justice you with racial to be incarcerated. It is. You got to be incarcerated. It is. It, and, and, and I don't. I don't really <laughs> think white folks understand. Again, this history. This history where, and, and, and what they also again don't understand, is that our history has been black forgiveness has actually been tied to black survival. Mm -hmm. Because when these things have happened, lynchings mm -hmm. and other shootings. This, ah, this tone of forgiveness. Can we just forgive? And then, if, but then if you say, oh no, hell no, I ain't forgiven. I think, I think back to when um, uh, I think it was, uh, 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 I think it was uh, either Jimmy Lee Jackson or the four little girls mm -hmm. who were killed in Birmingham when King was trying to give this speech, and his one brother stood up and he's like, oh no, hell no, mm -hmm. no, I, I, I'm sick of this. Right. And we can't get mad. Right. We, we, we're not allowed we, to get mad. We, we, we right. can't. We can't hold a grudge. We, right. we, we can't. Uh, say, oh, hell no. Right. No, no, you have right. to forgive. Also, too, for us to get mad then indicates that we value our lives just as equally as everybody else, which has been something, and you just said it, we have had to survive making sure that the majority, in this case, white folks, are happy. 
And if they're not happy and they're angry, that has been a problem but for us for 400 years. Hold tight one second. Hold tight one second. I want to go to, uh, back to Dallas. Uh, we have Ben Crump, uh, who's with us. Uh, ben, who do you have with you? I have attorney Daryl Washington and attorney Lee Merritt. Um, I, I got to ask the three of you. Um, I, I, Tom Joyner this morning asked me how many years I think Amber Geiger was going to get. I said 15. Uh, the prosecution was asking for 28. Um, <laughs> how do y'all feel about 10 years? Well, 10 years is going to be inadequate every time. Um, we believe that Bolton's life matters a lot more than that. Um, but we understand that we've been so close to this family. We saw the kind of love that was expressed by Bolton, that was expressed by his little brother that permeates that family. And and because of that, we thought, you know, 99 years would be far too, too little time. Uh, however, 99 years is not going to bring Bolton back to that family. Uh, there is additional work that needs to go on. We need to continue to push to fight to change the culture, I mean, to change the city of Dallas. So that's what we're focusing on. Uh, the, the, one, the one thing I said, Roland, at the press conference, everybody was talking about consideration for this white policewoman who killed this unarmed black man in his apartment. I thought about, and you know this well, all the black men who have been wrongfully convicted, who spent decades in prison, why aren't we asking consideration for them like the white community was asking for consideration like this policewoman. So we have a lot of work to do in America. We thought because this was historic with the first conviction of a white policewoman of murder for killing a black man that this was going to be equal justice. But we saw with this sentence we still have work to do. Yeah. And Roland, just to add to that, uh, we were happy to get the murder conviction uh, however, you know, when you look at 10, 10 years, uh, there are black men who have been sentenced to more than 10 years for selling weed. Uh, there have been people sent to prison for a longer time for stealing, stealing a sneaker bar out of the store. So, again, we have a lot of work. The fact that we were able to get a, a murder conviction on a white lady police officer is, I think, is significant in itself. But still... Uh, there are major issues that we are faced with in Dallas and throughout this country that we might, we must take on head-on right now. Uh, I have to ask you, um, do, do you believe that it was inappropriate for the judge to come off of the bench and embrace Amber Geiger? Um, you know... I, I put the, hold on, hold on, hold on. Let me rephrase. <laughs> I'll rephrase. The three of you... No, 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 I, no, no, no. That's what I'm saying. Let, let me, I'll rephrase. The three of you have been in numerous cases. Have you ever seen a judge embrace somebody convicted of murder? Never, not once. Not even on Hollywood movies. I mean, it, it goes even farther. In this, this case has had so many twists and turns. Just on last evening, we saw a picture of a bailiff actually combing Amber Geiger's hair. I mean, and, and, and just to see a lot of the things that took place today, I've just never seen it happen that way. And we just, it wasn't a mistake. She went in there with the intent to kill both. And when she walked in that, in that apartment, and, and I think she should be treated as a murderer. We understand that people out there forgive people. But at the end of the day, we need to send the message to America that it is not acceptable to kill unarmed black men in their own homes. The, ju the justice system treats police differently. It's not news to anyone. The justice system treats white women differently. It's not news to anyone. Uh, this is part of the system that we're working to change, and there's more work to do. Um, Amber Geiger is 31 years old. 
will go to jail, sentenced to 10 years, will be eligible for parole in five years, could also get out a lot earlier for good behavior. And, and I tell people, I open the show this way. Amber Geiger killed Botham Jean, and she got the same number of years that Bill Cosby got in prison. Mm. That's deep. Roland, these are some very difficult cases. We were looking at the black man, the black police officer who killed a white lady in Minnesota. Uh, if I'm not mistaken, he only got 12 years. Uh, these cases are so very difficult uh, to get jurors to want to send police officers well, to prison for well, a very long time. Well, actually, remember, remember, the cop who killed Flando Castile had no indictment. The black cop yeah. who killed that white woman, he got indicted. They, they, they distanced himself, and he got, yes, more than 10 years in prison. The whole police force in the city just ignored said, no, we, we you know, <laughs> done with you. And, in fact, the settlement that that white woman's family received was far higher than what Philando Castile's family received. Yeah. So, again, in this country, a white woman, it, her life is far seen as more valuable than an African-American. And, and, Roland, it's so deep what you say, because remember, the police union in that Minnesota case where that black guy killed the white woman was the first time I ever saw the police union not defend a cop and turn their back on him. So we know <laughs> it's always about race in America. Gentlemen, we certainly appreciate it. Uh, thank you so very much. Um, it was, uh, it is certainly, was certainly um, uh, an emotional uh, trial there. And um, hmm, we'll see where her team uh, chooses to appeal. Thanks a lot. Thank you, Roland. Uh, you guys wanted to make a um, final point here. I wanted to ask the team um, whether that 10 year sentence was appealable under the court procedures in Texas at the state level. Uh, don't know whether it is or isn't, and whether either side could possibly appeal that 10-year sentence. Well, one Not of the things... Well, first of all, one of the things that um, uh, the... When they asked the jury... Asked the defense about that, they rarely accepted what, uh, what the jury offered. But <laughs> <laughs> they did. Right. <laughs> That's to tell you something they right there. They said, no, we're good. They said, no, we're good. That's without good behavior... And then if she goes into a number of programs like drug or alcohol, she probably gets good credit, mm -hmm, good time right. credit. I don't know Texas law, but, but you're looking at, man, um, essentially a manslaughter sentence. Here's the deal. Get I, ready. Here's the deal. That's what you'd be looking at I, maybe I, three to deal. five years. Uh, I know Texas law. Uh-huh. That works for a white former cop. That don't <laughs> work for black people. That Texas. don't work for black people. Well, it's the same system. That don't Roland. do you. Okay, no, all right. trying to figure out their separate systems for black people and white people. The same system helps everybody. Yeah, okay. It yeah. hurts everybody. Yeah, all right. Get ready for the cavalcade <laughs> of, of stats on cases where somebody stole a loaf of bread <laughs> right, and got right. more than 10 years. Yep. Right. And Kristen Clark, you, you retweeted Kristen Clark. She already had an example of that. Yeah, yeah. Black, Not, man, black man who sold drugs <laughs> right. and how he spent... Got 20 years got, of life. Stuff, served. <laughs> right. Got life served 20 years <laughs> right. and only got out because of the First Step Act. Right.
right. only got out. Right. This is a tweet right here. Right. Meet Amber Geiger, who was served 10 years after murdering Botham John in his own apartment. Meet Edward Douglas, who was sentenced to life in prison after being convicted of selling crack cocaine. Mm. He spent almost two decades in prison before being released through the First Step Act. And many more to come. Because yeah. <laughs> that's going to oh, be many a more lot examples. <gasps> you could post a ton of examples yeah. up there. You don't yeah. have to stop with that. That's what we got. All right, folks, I got to go to a break. When we come back, we'll talk about a former cop in New Jersey who said Donald Trump was the last hope for white people. The jury right now is deliberating his case. I'll tell you about it on Roller Martin Unfiltered. You want to check out Roller Martin Unfiltered? YouTube.com forward slash Roland S. Martin. Subscribe to our YouTube channel. There's only one daily digital show out here that keeps it black and keep it real. It's Roller Martin Unfiltered. See that name right there? Roland Martin Unfiltered. Like, share, subscribe to our YouTube channel. That's YouTube.com forward slash Roland S. Martin. And don't forget to turn on your notifications so when we go live, you'll know it. All right, folks, you heard me talk a lot about MarijuanaStock.org. Why? Because we want to keep you informed of investment opportunities that make sense. We've all watched the growth of the cannabis industry. It is now a $340 billion a year market, and it is still growing. It's also being legalized state by state in this country, uh, and things have changing dramatically. Now, of course, marijuana has a good cousin called hemp with a much higher concentration of CBD, which means hemp gives you all the medical benefits of marijuana without getting you high. Until recently, hip farming was illegal in the United States, practically legal in the U.S., but the 2018 Farm Bill changed all of that. Those who want to grow need land. This is real simple. It's incredible investment opportunities for companies like 420 Real Estate. Their business model is simple. They buy land that supports hemp CBD grow operations and lease it to licensed high-paying tenants. That's right, they are hemp CBD landlords. Now, of course, at 420 Real Estate, they've done something special for Roland Martin Unfiltered Family. You, you can, the original investment was 500 bucks, but you can invest as little as $200 uh, in this crowdfunding campaign. You can invest from 200 bucks up to 10 thousand dollars. All you got to do is go to MarijuanaStock.org for more information. Go to MarijuanaStock.org to get in the game and get in the game now. Folks, as we speak, a jury in New Jersey is considering the fate of Frank Nucera, a former Bortontown, New Jersey police chief. Now, he is charged with hate crime assault, deprivation of civil rights, and lying to the FBI. He's accused of slamming a handcuffed black teenager's head like a basketball, according to testimony, into a metal door jam. He faces up to 20 years in jail and the loss of his six-figure pension, frozen since March as part of an agreement with the New Jersey pension officials. If jurors believe beyond a reasonable doubt he is guilty of the crime, then the jury left for the day without reaching a verdict and will resume deliberations on Thursday morning. He also um, sort of has some comments, y'all, uh, on this whole deal as well. And <laughs> he actually said, uh, quoted this saying, that Donald Trump is the last hope for white people according to a recording recently played by jurors. This should be pretty damn simple. This is pretty rare. You had the blue line, and then you have within that blue line, he was taped by other officers in this small police force who were concerned, to their credit, <laughs> that their chief... They believe was a racist. Quote: Hillary was giving offensive. all of the minorities to get a vote. That's the truth. <laughs> I'm telling you. <laughs> and one of the quotes is, "I'm like, you know what? They're gonna fool around and make me shoot these n words, you know, around here." I mean, he was really over the top. And they had like 80 to 100 tapes 
that they either introduced a trial or could have introduced a trial against him. Lauren, he told <laughs> colleagues that African Americans were like ISIS. They have no value. You know, you know it's bad when they it, should line <laughs> them all up and mow them down. When, mm -hmm. when the other cop, because cops are, as I don't need to say, I'm very loyal to each other. The fact that the <laughs> other cops turned him in is is, is unprecedented. I, mean, I haven't heard that ever, and that's another thing that we've never heard of in another and the, case. And the defense, his defense attorneys, part of their defense is. Well, that the other people wanted this job, the oh, tape right. team, they didn't oh, really right, like right, him. Right, no. right. And so this had nothing to do with race. This had to do with them wanting to be promoted over So him. they made him yeah, say all, all that stuff. Exactly. Right, yeah. <laughs> he was extremely exactly. comfortable. I'm reporting. Yeah. I'm not endorsing right. that defense. But, but this, is the, this is the thing that, again, <laughs> I mean, I, we, we can mention just numerous cases. We can talk about when the cops in Florida were recorded using the N-word, the cops in San Francisco. You have black police chiefs in both places who were blasting them. Uh, of course, the uh, the investigation of the five uh, the Facebook where they looked at five or eight different cities uh, and they found more than 300 cops the vile racist things they were saying on Facebook message boards and you had you had uh, 321 cops nationwide who were suspended mm -hmm. uh, in St. Louis uh, you know in terms of what was happening there hell what they said about an undercover black cop uh, and how the police department abandoned them I mean Lauren look you got law enforcement uh, family. Black cops say the safest I am is if I got a uniform on. <laughs> yeah, the police department. Uh, to me, police work is almost, uh, to me, from a legal standpoint, a protected class. I mean, they, they have a license to kill and they can do things, obviously, that civilians cannot. Their origins but, would protect a certain class. Yeah, I also think, though, too, is that what happens... No, the origins were to snap up people <laughs> who look like us. I think... Slave patrol. <laughs> right. I, I do think, though, that what happens when you do police work... Uh, you're encountering negativity and bad people all the time, day in and day out. Even though in this country the stats for violent crime is actually at a 40-year low, still, if you're a police officer, you're seeing the negative thing every single... And I don't know why the profession never really deals with that issue of trying to either cycle the cops out into other places or whatever, because it has its very dilatory effect. It's no excuse for this, obviously, but... Yeah, I mean, they get it into their heads that they're, you know, better than everybody else at some point because they're dealing with the worst parts of our society all yeah, the time. Also, I think what has to happen, Scott and Amish, is I, I, and again, this is where what happens beforehand, and you don't see enough of it. I'm sorry. If I'm going to put a gun in a person's hand right. who can <laughs> take somebody's life, your ass is going to undergo a serious psychological evaluation. What? Because what happens is we hear the stories that, that the people who are attracted to becoming cops right. are to, first of all, police officers have a higher incidence of domestic violence. <laughs> then, I mean, nice. if we want to pull that out, we can. Mm -hmm. uh, but so when you talk about, you, you now are giving somebody who has this edge, who has this whatever you want to call it. Now it's like, Mentality. I, got, I, I, I got a gun? Right. Yeah. And the law says. If I felt like you threatened me, yeah. I can take you out? Yeah. Well, I'm telling the truth or not. Yeah. You know, let me... I, I've, I spent five years as a prosecutor in New York City. The other part of that life of a police officer is they develop this us-versus-them right. mentality. Right. It's kind of consistent with what you said. And so when you draw up complaints from the police rolling in New York, this was in the uh, early... I'm sorry, late 80s, early 90s, uh, we would be there all night, 11 to 9, and the police would come in with arrests and they would refer to the people being arrested, and mostly black or brown people, is if we asked them, you know, what was the race of... Uh, uh, many of my colleagues would say, not what was the race, but, uh, but, but were they black or brown? 
they didn't even contemplate white. Mm -hmm. And the police would refer to the arrestees as dogs, mopes, mm -hmm. uh, uh, black brownies, if you will. And this this, colloqu this, this this terminology that was used to address, whether you were black, white, yellow, brown as a prosecutor, to address those being arrested was really not only denigrating, but, but gave you a good sense of what the police thought about people right. who were, quote, were on the other side, right. who were being arrested. That needs to be cycled out. Yeah. Because at the same time, the majority of the people committing crime, whether it's New York City or Joliet, Illinois, is somewhere between 1% and 10%, not the whole community. Exactly. And so when they come to serve and protect, they come to arrest when they come to well, our The other piece in that is the disproportionate policing in black communities, right? So mm -hmm. in New York in particular, they're not policing for drugs in Bensonhurst and Coney Island. Mm -hmm. We all know that drugs are used equally right. by all the groups, but who gets policed? More right? by and people so that don't look like it's us. It's self-fulfilling. Because if you already know, you're never going to get pulled over. You're never going to get stopped. Exactly. exactly. The right. carry is a whole right. lot higher. Exactly. That's right. That's right. That's right. So but, that's another so thing. So that needs to the be The other pieces that we know that these trainings don't work. Out. Because we're seeing in many cases, even in Geiger's case, she even sat on the stand and they proved it. She had hundreds of thousands of hours of training, specifically right. in, in racial justice, in all of these emotive acts, in how to, what you can do to de-escalate a situation. Got on the stand and said she didn't remember, remember any of it. Well, see, part of this, too, though, is that a lot of jurisdictions have very low standards for police work. In New York, in some of the bigger jurisdictions, you do have to have at least two years of college or two years of military. Mm -hmm. But in these smaller jurisdictions, nope. like Ferguson, you don't need anything. Wild, 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 wild. Wild. Yeah. Because not even in many large cities. Like, I'm from Chicago. Mm -hmm. Chicago just instituted this two years ago. Mm -hmm. That's it's, a very large city with a right. large so police force. Right. It's, right. it's the wild, wild west. That's right. what you got going on mm -hmm. here. So, all right, folks, going to go to a break. We come back. Bernie Sanders off the campaign trail after having a heart issue. Hmm. Is it over? Well, the 78-year-old will discuss next. Roller Martin Unfiltered. You want to support Roller Martin Unfiltered? Be sure to join our Bring the Funk fan club. Every dollar that you give to us supports our daily digital show. There's only one daily digital show out here that keeps it black and keep it real as Roller Martin Unfiltered. Support the Roller Martin Unfiltered daily digital show by going to rollermartinunfiltered.com. Our goal is to get 20,000 of our fans contributing 50 bucks each for the whole year. You can make this possible. RolandMartinUnfiltered.com. The second annual Life Love Jazz Experience will be taking place in Los Cabos, November 7th through the 11th. Now, if you want to get uh, your package to attend in person, you can do so by going to lifeluxjazz.com, L-I-F-E-L-U-X-E-J-A-Z-Z.com. But if you want to actually check out the live stream, you're going to have 14 different legendary acts performing over three days. I told you, comedian actor Mark Curry is confirmed, Gerald Albright, Alex Bunyan, Raul Madan, Incognito, Pieces of a Dream, Kirk Whalum, Average White Band, Donna McClurkin, Shalaya, Roy Ayers, Tom Brown, Running Laws and Ernest Quarles and more. Uh, GFNTV.com is going to be doing the live stream. You can actually get that live stream package for $10.99. That's $10.99. Uh, and so all you got to do is go to GFNTV.com uh, to actually do that. So I want you guys to do that. Uh, you can get your live stream pass between now and October 30th for $10.99 at GFNTV.com. 
Three days of amazing concerts. Don't forget, Roland Martin Unfiltered will be broadcasting from there Thursday and Friday. Uh, but again, the live stream pass, uh, the, uh, of course, the your list, live stream pass through GFNTV.com. Uh, $10.99 for those three days, and so you want to check that out. Of course, GFN TV, this is your world, and it is in your image. All right, folks, presidential candidate Senator Bernie Sanders was hospitalized yesterday in Las Vegas, underwent a major medical procedure after blockage was found in one of his arteries. He has canceled all of his campaign events until further notice. He was in Vegas for a candidate's forum on gun safety co-hosted by MSNBC, but has not participated. They've also pulled their ad by from uh, in Iowa, and so we'll see how long it's going to be out. Remember, the debate is going to be taking place in two weeks in Ohio. Some folks say we give a stint procedure. It really takes you a month or two to recover from that, to really get out there. Hmm. Got to ask y'all, uh, I'll start with Amisha, you first. He's 78 years old, oldest candidate on the Democratic side. Joe Biden is 76. Elizabeth Warren is 70. Then the other candidates get younger. Uh, he, this is a day after they announced they raised 25 million bucks in the last quarter, more than anybody else. But if you're the oldest candidate and you have a health issue running for office, I think voters weigh that and say, do I want to support this person? What do you think? Voters do, and I, I think that that's really tragic. One, because a health crisis can hit any of us at any age, right, period. Right. Um, but in addition to that, the timing could not have been worse. Again, with the debate coming up, um, knowing that he's got to get his feet to the ground, we're seeing Warren surge, um, taking a lot of what would have been some of his um, some of his base, and he's really, you know, this isn't the time that anybody needs to slow down. We're now seeing Steyer's going to be on the stage next go-round. Um, we're also seeing Tulsi Gabbard back next go-round. Uh, Bernie has a lot that he has to do. Uh, one of the things that was the most tragic to me today was watching people on Twitter on, on both sides basically um, sh shouting it out as almost a, a sentence of death. Um, I, I've had people who had stints um, in, in, in my household, um, relatives, friends, and for a lot of people, they can continue on and be absolutely fine for years. So I think that that's something we have to take into account. But also, avoiding being extremely ageist here, again, uh, with full recognition that um, you can have any type of health scare at any point. But in here's life. a piece. Is that, is, Lauren, it's not ageist. The, the, the reality is... <laughs> He's uh, 70. No, it's, <laughs> no, 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 it's not yeah. being ageist. Uh -huh. Jimmy Carter yeah. said the other day, he said... I'm gonna tell y'all right now. <laughs> I, I could, he said, as somebody who has been president, right. he said, I could not have right. performed the duties of president of the United States right. if I was 80 years old. Exactly. The reality is that's on the minds of people. Right. I don't care what anybody says. I think back when Paul Songas was running after he had cancer previously. Right. People talked about and, and people, maybe a lot of y'all who weren't even born, uh, may I remember <laughs> where he had this thing where he where he had the media come out and film him swimming right. in yeah. a pool yeah. to show. Uh, his stamina. Really? 2016, right. Hillary Clinton in the 9-11 commemoration, she uh, collapses, she gets caught. People are talking about <laughs> her health <laughs> because, remember, she also suffered the concussion. Right. Look, voters factor those things in when you're running. Yeah, also when you have a big field and half the field is under the age of, like, you know, 60 or 55-ish, right? You got some really young people in the field, like Buttigieg. It reminds everybody as they're standing on the stage how old these other people are, particularly we got Joe Biden standing there as the front runner. My view is Elizabeth Warren's going to get the nominations, going to take all his votes and just keep on trucking. So I, I think... If he stays in the hospital you know, or if he gets well, out? Well, either way, either whether he comes way. out or wow. not. I mean, the polls wow. are not particularly favorable to him right now uh, before any of this happens, and so now this is actually a major thing. And if he misses the debate, that's going to be a moment. I yeah. think he's okay. I mean, we're not... It's not that, that we're not... 
it's not a bad thing of timing. But if this was like, you know, a week before the South Carolina well, primary, if or, this was January, you know, January that's a whole different deal. A, but, but again, it, 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 what it does is for the calculus of people who are determining who they want to support, right. who they want to get behind Scott, these are things that they actually factor in. Well, it's, it's fair game. But the reality is, I was, I was thinking while you were talking about your family members, I was thinking about your family members, though, aren't running for president. And the amount of stress uh, these candidates are under, whether they're young or older, they're traveling uh, every day. They're eating poorly, probably. Uh, they're probably not exercising. Sleep patterns, uh, all that. Sleep patterns. Uh, this is stressful. This is stressful stuff. And I'm not a doctor, but if something's wrong with your arteries, a lot of it has to do with your lifestyle. Well, hell, you look at Obama. Little... Obama came to the White House with black hair. <laughs> and they left damn near silver. I mean, that's just... So he I mean, that's that, that... I mean, it... So it's it, fair the, game. The presidency aid issue, and I'm just simply saying that I think that uh, it, it plays a part in it. Uh, it will be interesting to see how fast he's able to bounce yeah. back from this. Right. Uh, because how soon does he get back on the campaign trail? Right. Yeah, if that debate takes place October 15th, yeah. and Bernie Sanders is not on the stage, frankly, what it does is, now that you have a shrinking field, mm -hmm. it really gives an opportunity, frankly, for and Senator Elizabeth Warren, yeah, or Senator Kamala Harris, for Mayor Pete Buttigieg, for those people who were in that second tier, mm -hmm. opportunity for them to say, okay, now how can I, how can I go up? How can I sort of uh, seize the moment? If, if he's ready... He's stay away from that boxing ball if, if that he's... he tried to do to show that he had the vigor to run but I mean, he, If he's ready in 12 days, I'll be shocked. He'd be ready in 12 or 13 days. He got a set. <laughs> yeah, he got two he sets. He heart surgery. He had heart surgery. Really, basically. <laughs> Let's not... If he's sitting down on that stage in 13 but days, I'll be shocked. But also questioning Donald Trump's health? Mind you, he's somebody who we all know is overweight. Somebody who eats like trash. It's Every day we question it. So I, well, I first, got a non-White House <laughs> doctor to actually... The greatest doctor, the greatest health of all time. First, first right. of all, I mean, first of all I mean, we're dealing with an absolute loon. Anybody who's, anybody who's at the news conference today will understand the kind of uh, nuttiness Ooh, we're dealing Delusional. with uh, when it comes to Donald Trump. All right, folks, uh, first of all, here's the deal. So uh, I want to thank Amisha, Scott, and Lauren as well. Now we're going to end the show with this here. Uh, my interview with Andrew Yang. He raised $10 bucks in the third quarter of 2019, according to his campaign at substantially more than the $2.8 he raised in the second quarter of this year. Last week, I sat down with him to talk about his agenda, what it is for African Americans, and talk about, of course, his um, $1,000 check that would go to all Americans. Uh, Y'all get a chance to do that. Also, don't forget, if you want to support Roland Martin Unfiltered, some of you have already been given through the YouTube channel. Do so by going to RolandMartinUnfiltered.com uh, by joining our Bring the Funk fan club. Matter of fact, Andrew Yang, why don't you send some of that a thousand bucks a month over here? What the hell? Might as well. <laughs> I mean, what the hell? I'm you just saying. You do that I'm... and have interviewed him too. Hell, I mean, you're a yeah. member of Matter the media. I got no problem with Biden, <laughs> Harris, Warren. So, how, so how many candidates left? How many candidates left? Is is, is 19 of them oh, left? So again, so if 19 of you send a thousand dollars a month, <laughs> hey, guess what? You paid just about 40% of our expenses. Have you no shame? None. Have you no shame? None. None. Where is your decency None. and get, your ethics? Guess what? All you got to do is buy some damn ads. <laughs> right. Same thing. You gotta do. Right. Same, Same thing. difference. Then. Same damn really? thing. You can do that. Same <laughs> thing. And guess what? I'll take them. He got a million people following him. I'll take them. I got 2.5 million. Oh, I'll take them. Oh, See, Kappas can't count. Oh, All right, y'all. No, I'm just not as arrogant. Here's a, no, you just can't count. I, I can count. Yeah, you can count. I went to Morehouse. Can, I you can count. You count times you dropped them canes. All right, y'all. <laughs> Here's my conversation with Andrew Yang.
uh, let's let's get let's get right into this. Um, um, the, the crux of your campaign um, is about this guaranteed income, if you will, and a lot and a lot of people may not realize that the book, the guaranteed income, really formed the basis of the economic policy of the Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. Yeah, I would be the first to give credit to Dr. King and people who've come well before me. Sometimes people falsely believe that this was my idea. It's not my idea at all. It's something that Dr. King championed and advocated in his 1967 book, Chaos or Community, and it is what he was fighting for when he was assassinated in 1968. To me, it's unfortunate that we celebrate his birthday every year without really talking about what he was fighting for. Uh, you know, it's almost, in my mind, it's like his memory has been sanitized uh, and uh, made uncontroversial in a way that, in, in my mind, is not what he would have wanted. Well, and, and what, what people also, again, uh, who, uh, those of us who actually follow Dr. King uh, may not realize is that, uh, that this notion of a guaranteed income uh, was a, uh, a particular book that, uh, that, he, that he read. And uh, I was talking to uh, Al Sampson, Reverend Al Sampson out of Chicago. Uh, who was one of only two uh, ministers who was actually ordained uh, by uh, Dr. King. And what uh, he laid out, and I actually got a couple of copies of that book, is called The Guaranteed Income, Next Step in Economic Evolution by Robert Theobald. Uh, Dr. King read that book, and then that's what he really began to lay out. And so how would this work in 2019? So explain why this makes sense as opposed to what we currently have is, you know what? Uh, people say that this, that this would be a handout. This would be welfare. This is just be giving folks free money. Well, if you look at our country, there's actually a dividend in effect right now in Alaska where everyone in Alaska is currently getting between one and $2,000 a year in oil money. And what I would argue to the American people is that at this point, technology and data are to the 21st century what oil was to the 20th century, where these are common assets that are generating huge amounts of value. And the American people, certainly we should own our own data, but also we should be participating in the incredible benefits of the 21st century economy. Instead, you have a trillion-dollar tech company like Amazon closing 30% of America's stores and malls and paying zero in taxes. You have Google uh, and Facebook and Uber who are paying very little or no taxes. Netflix pays zero taxes. So we're in a bind because the biggest winners of the 21st century economy are paying nothing back into our system while our economy is being transformed forever by these self-same companies. So to me, this is a necessary move in order to allow us all to prosper and participate in the modern economy. Uh, and when I was researching this proposal, I realized that Dr. King was prescient, where a lot of the issues he was talking about in the 1960s actually revolve around how technology was automating. At that point, it was manufacturing jobs, uh, but now it's become even more powerful and pervasive. Well, one of the things that also I find to be real interesting as, as, as we sort of talk about this is uh, there are people who say, oh, uh, Andrew, Young, Andrew Yang is supporting, uh, he's supporting handouts, yet 
you have farmers who have received $28 billion from the federal government because of Donald Trump's tariffs uh, spat, and that's not loans. That's $28 billion in grants when the uh, bailout was $12 billion, and that was actually loans. The federal government actually made money from that. So it's, it's amazing to me how America has no problem with that handout or the subsidies that go to farmers, but then say, oh, the rest of you, you're just trying to get welfare. You're, you're looking for a handout. Well, Roland, what about the $4 trillion we printed to bail out Wall Street? I mean, that, that's T, trillion. So when, when the banks needed the money, we were there. Uh, you know, when the banks made bad decisions, they didn't have to face the consequences of those decisions in real ways. Whereas for individuals, somehow it's the individual's fault. Uh, and this is something that I think most Americans are savvy to, that framing things as, uh, oh, you know, pull yourself up from your bootstraps um, no longer makes much sense given that you have large corporations who are the recipients of billions of dollars in some combination of subsidies or tax breaks or bailouts. So how do you plan to, though, break through? You're still in this race. Uh, you, um, the, the Democrats have set a new qualifying mark for the next debate in October. Uh, and so how does this catch on? How do, how, how, how do you think you're able to get more people uh, to believe in what you're presenting uh, as opposed to right now the top of the ticket is Biden, Warren, Sanders? Well, a recent poll had me as high as fourth place. Uh, I've already qualified for the October debate, and I'm halfway to qualifying for the November debate. So this message is catching fire because people realize that $1,000 a month in our hands uh, would be a game changer for millions of American families, certainly for communities of color who are starting with lower levels of access to education and capital, $1,000 a month in many cases, it would be $24,000 a year in that household if you have two adults. And so the vision is so powerful, Roland, I'm happy to say that our campaign is growing like wildfire. Uh, and you'll see we're just going to continue to grow. I'm somewhere between fourth and sixth right now, uh, and I've got a big up arrow attached to my campaign where I'm one of only two campaigns that's grown consistently the entire time. Uh, if we going beyond the thousand dollars a month, um, what what would you articulate is your black agenda specifically uh, for African Americans? Let's say when it comes to education. Let's say when it comes to uh, access to capital for businesses. Uh, let's say when it comes to criminal justice reform. Uh, and so, what what, what does that look like? Uh, why should African Americans uh, say, "Hey, I want to give Andrew Yang a shot"? So let me say that the Freedom Dividend, that would be a, an enormous game changer for millions of American families and families of color, uh, it does not somehow balance the scales where African Americans are concerned. So we need to do much more. Uh, on the criminal justice side, I would close private prisons. It makes no sense to have prisons that have a profit motive, that benefit from recidivism. Uh, I would get rid of this punitive cash bail system that's essentially criminalizing poverty for many, many Americans. I would legalize marijuana nationwide, and then I would mass pardon everyone who's in jail for a nonviolent marijuana-related offense. 
which I have a feeling we all know so, everyone so, so, there so, would be so, black, and I would high five them so all. So let me ask you about the marijuana piece. But but uh, before we go forward on the other issues, on the marijuana piece, um, there are some African Americans who believe, and I've heard this different different states, who believe that there should be set asides for people or African-Americans uh, and others who were most impacted by those marijuana laws. Uh, of course, uh, when some of these states have passed these laws, now you're talking about a $340, $340 billion global industry. We see the billions that are being earned in Colorado and California and Washington State and other different places. And so there are some black, uh, 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 there's some black caucuses on the state level who are trying to hold up saying, no, we need to ensure that people are not getting left out. They don't want African-Americans left out uh, uh, with, with this whole deal legalizing marijuana. Would you support uh, creating something where those groups of individuals who are most impacted by marijuana laws or even allowing individuals who did serve time not to be disenfranchised by the legaliz uh, uh, legalizing marijuana so they can benefit economically from what is now legal? I would support that. It's only just that the community that's been most adversely impacted by what I see as the uh, inequitable enforcement of our drug laws would then be in a position to benefit when you have a multi-billion dollar industry that's taking shape. Uh, so to me, the secret to everything in my mind, Roland, is that uh, black entrepreneurship will flourish when black consumers have more money to spend. You were talking about, um, again, some of the other issues uh, in terms yeah. of, uh, yeah, if so I had to I, say, uh, education. Uh, yeah, I if I had to say education, what would that look like? Yeah, I have a plan for HBCUs that uh, we have to face facts that the education market is like other markets where it follows the almighty dollar. And you have these very rich schools with big endowments and HBCUs are on the other end where uh, they, they don't have those sorts of endowments to fall back on. So we need to bolster HBCUs specifically. Um, I have a, a multi-billion dollar plan to help shore up HBCUs that have been, by the numbers, very, very successful in their historic missions. Um, so to me, the Freedom Dividend is a starting point. It's a foundation. But we have to do much, much more uh, to make our economy work for people from every background. I, uh, I lost uh, some audio right there, and so, but I got you back there. Uh, so we talked about criminal justice reform. We talked about education. Um, one of the things well, that I, is an I, issue that is not getting... And I saw that you were, you know, you're like me in that you're just pro-good schools. You're like, look, as long as you educate our kids, um, I'm down. Right. And I'm the exact same way. The data shows that 65 to 70% of our kids' school performance is determined by out-of-school factors. So that's uh, parental mm -hmm. time spent with the child, stress levels in the household, the type of neighborhood, uh, factors like that. So one of the big problems we have facing black communities is that there's an education gap, and then people say, okay, well, I'll give more money to the school, but the school only accounts for about a third of the kids' performance. So if you want there right. to be better access to, uh, to actual education, what you would do is you'd give the money directly to the families and the parents and then try and improve the in-home environment, which accounts for two-thirds of the kids' performance. We can give money to the schools till we're blue in the face, 
But as a math guy, if it can only control a third of the outcome, uh, you have to focus on the other two thirds, too. Well, and one of the things that I, that I have been talking about this whole issue, and again, it's amazing to me when people go, well, you know, why are you supporting charter schools? And I'm going, folks, there cannot just be one delivery system in this country. My philosophy is real simple. If traditional schools exist and are working, they stay open, they keep educating. If there's a charter school and they're working, fine. If it's a magnet school and it's working, fine. If it's a home school, if it's an online school, fine. But the problem to me is we got people who are saying, oh, get rid of charters. But I'm going, yeah, but if they're working in places, why would I get rid of something that's working? The other issue that I have a problem with is that schools have become community service centers. There used to be a time when you were in a neighborhood and there was a, there was a school here and a community service center down the street. So when you needed health when you needed dental, when you needed mental services, you went to the community center. Well, cities and counties shut those down. Now they want to turn the schoolhouse into a community service center. So then education is no longer number one on the list. It's now a, a delivering food, mental illness. It's now mental health, uh, now delivering health, dental, and education like five or six. I believe we got to challenge cities and counties to reopen community centers provide those services to people as opposed to saying the school should do all of these things your thoughts i i agree with you on both counts uh, it, and i have many friends who are very committed and dedicated educators who are teaching at charter schools they're just like any other teacher they're teaching their kids and they're doing their best every day and somehow painting them with a negative brush uh to me uh, applied across hundreds of schools around the country uh, you know, does not seem right. And I agree with you that right now we're asking schools to do the impossible, uh, where one, again, they can only control a third of the educational outcome, and we're saying control 100% and make it happen. As you say, there's a lot of mission creep, where it's like, hey, while you're at it, uh, become a social worker, become a health institution, become um, you know, a community health org. Uh, and you're right that there were other places for that uh, in communities, as there should be. Um, at this point, those resources have been reduced, and that's what we have to reverse. But we don't necessarily need to try and um, look to the school and, and teachers and educators as the cure-all. We have to put other people in position to do the work, too, and put different organizations in place that have uh, specific missions. All right, Andrew, got to ask you this question. This has not come up in a lot of these debates. Housing. I've covered housing my entire career. The reality is black folks lost 53% of all wealth during the housing foreclosure crisis. Uh, that has impacted the ability to be able to get small business loans. Uh, but also what we saw with these hedge, hedge fund companies aligning with these banks, buying up 25 and 30 and 40,000 blocks of homes. So what is your housing plan for America? You are 100% right to trace this back to the financial crisis, Roland. What happened was in the run-up to the financial crisis, you had predatory lending practices that preyed particularly on black communities of color and said, hey, you can buy a home now and we're going to essentially give you these shady loans, uh, but don't worry, you can afford it. Uh, and then they made money going in, and then it turns out these mortgage-backed securities were way overvalued. And so then you wound up crashing the economy. 
And the U.S. government had a crucial choice in the wake of the financial crisis. They could either bail out the homeowners or bail out the banks. And we know what they chose. They chose to bail out Wall Street to the tune of $4 trillion. And so you saw this wipeout of uh, housing wealth among communities of color in particular that have never really recovered. That, to me, was a real lost opportunity and that you needed to help keep people in their homes. Uh, that housing wealth had never has never come back for black communities. And so we need to do much, much more to put more people in position to own homes in a way that's sustainable. One of the difficulties in addressing the housing crisis and affordable housing in communities around the country, and I think you live in the D.C. area, which is one of the most expensive areas in the country, and so you see the gentrification, yep. is that all of the incentives are around the marketplace where if you're a developer and you have a choice between building new apartments for yuppies or keeping people in their homes, then, of course, you choose the yuppies. So we have to do all we can to federalize better incentives for developers so that if they build, they build for people who can afford to live there, they can build for the people that currently live there instead of people that are always going to be moving in. The tough part is that a lot of the zoning regs and NIMBYism are local in nature. Uh, and a lot of people talk about affordable housing until it gets to their own backyard, and then they say, not in my backyard. I mean, that's what mm -hmm. NIMBY uh, obviously stands for. So there, there are things that we have to do in a big way because the federal housing measures are woefully inadequate. Uh, I think there's something like a three-year waiting list for housing assistance and whatnot. I mean, three years is a long, a long time to wait. Uh, you know what I mean? What are you going to do, be homeless for three years? So uh, there's a lot more we need to do. The, um, the uh, immediate-term measure is just getting money into our hands, which then would be a massive uh, rebalancer in terms of people's ability to just uh, seek shelter in a positive way. And if you have $1,000 a month and there are four of you, you could band together and just, you know, find a fixer-upper house and, and uh, it would help create economic incentives for the right kind of development. But then we need a federal housing plan that actually starts to change the incentives for landlords and developers who right now are most interested in sticking it to tenants and gouging us at every turn. Uh, you can trace the roots of this back to the financial crisis, though. It's one of the things that changed my entire outlook and career, where in the wake of the financial crisis, I left my job to start a nonprofit to help train entrepreneurs because I said, we can't keep on crashing the economy and running this financial financialized economy. And then after doing that for seven years, I realized that it was even worse than I thought. And now I'm running for president to actually rewrite the rules of the economy so that it works for everyone. Uh, there's no other way to do this except to get control of the government and just put money into our hands. Uh, everything else we're going to do is just mm -hmm. going to be scratching the surface of the problems. Last question for you. Obviously, Democrats are moving forward with an impeachment inquiry of Donald Trump. Do you support that? And do you think the American people uh, will realize that this president uh, has abused his position in office? I do support the move to impeach Donald Trump. I've been more or less in lockstep with Nancy Pelosi, where she saw that this might not be a positive outcome in terms of successful impeachment, and it may energize hardcore Donald Trump supporters who believe that the president is being unfairly persecuted. Uh, the other thing, Roland, that troubles me is that every moment we spend talking about Donald Trump is a victory for Donald Trump. 
And that includes if we're talking about impeaching Donald Trump, it's still Donald Trump controlling the narrative, controlling the conversation. We need a new story. We need a new narrative about what we can do for ourselves, a positive vision for the country that gets people excited. That's the antidote. That's the way to defeat Donald Trump. Impeachment, in my mind, is not uh, the antidote that we're looking for. But I do support Nancy Pelosi's move to impeach him because at this point, you have the president colluding with foreign leaders for political gain and withholding aid and then suppressing the investigation. So at, at some point, if you are Congress, you have to act. Uh, I think this was the right move, but I don't want anyone to have any illusions about the fact that this is necessarily good for the Democratic Party, good for America, or that we're going to successfully remove Donald Trump from office. Well, I make the point all the time that uh, going down an impeachment road is never something that people want to. But at some point, if an individual chooses to be so brazen and ignore the Constitution and flout its laws, uh, that person has to be held accountable. And so we'll see what happens. Andrew Yang, I uh, certainly appreciate it. Thank you so very much as you're traveling there in New Hampshire. Thank you, Roland. Hopefully I'll see you in person soon. Appreciate your uh, understanding of, of my... Uh travel schedule, making this like the, <laughs> the best opportunity. So thank you. Well, it's all good. Well, the, well, the whole thing is this year. I'm in, I'm in Lima, Ohio right now, uh, about to give a speech in a minute at a Chamber of Commerce community event. Uh, and so I truly understand being on the road, which is also why I love having uh, this out my own digital platform, because we get to be uh, very flexible with how we uh, do this show. It's very 21st century, Roland. <laughs> Absolutely. I appreciate it. Thanks a lot. Thank you. See you soon. From BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house, and I screamed. Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts. If you dare. Are you looking for the perfect move-in ready home this spring season? Now's the time to buy at Fisher Homes. For a limited time only, enjoy below market interest rates starting at 5.375% APR, 6.139% APR. With these exclusive lower rates, you can save hundreds on a move-in ready home and start enjoying the benefits of home ownership even faster. Schedule your personal tour with one of our new home specialists at fisherhomes.com and make this spring the season you find your perfect home sweet home. Financing provided by Victory Mortgage, LLC, NMLS 461249, Equal Housing Lender. The wait is almost over. Get ready for the 2024 NFL season as the full schedule is announced. Every rivalry, every rematch, every rookie debut, every game revealed. The 2024 NFL schedule release presented by Verizon coming in May. Live on NFL Network, ESPN2, and streaming on NFL+. Terms and conditions apply to NFL+. Visit nfl.com slash schedule release to learn more. 
Open a limited-time 11-month certificate at Kemba Financial Credit Union. At 5.25% APY, it's more than triple the national average, plus it's a safe and secure way to grow your money. Visit your local branch or kemba.org slash cd for details. Offer expires May 31st, 2024. APY equals annual percentage yield. Restrictions apply. $500 minimum and $250,000 maximum deposit. Advantage status required. Comparison based on bank rate average. Federally insured by NCUA. 